Hey, everybody. Welcome to the REI Dad podcast. We've got a very special guest today. Uh, she's a real estate investor and a coach. So excited to have her on, Edna Keep. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Wayne. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, I always like to start it off with like the origin story. You know, where did it all begin? Do you want to maybe introduce yourself and, and, and start with that? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I used to be a financial advisor. I was a financial advisor for about 15 years. And uh, I had clients that were coming in and telling me about their real estate and how it was going and, and all that sort of thing. So that was my first inspiration to check into it. Mm. And so we attended an evening uh, introductory uh, session to Rich Dad. And then uh, we took a three-day weekend. And at the end of that three-day weekend, we signed up for $27,000 US package. And we never looked back. You know, within 18 months, we owned 50 doors. Uh, we were inducted into uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Hall of Fame for, for using all the strategies that they taught us. Uh, and I don't think we used them all, but uh, we used a, a lot of them. We were the only Canadians on stage uh, with the other, there was five of us, with mm -hmm. the other, I think there was four uh, families of Americans. And there was 3,000 people in the audience. And I still remember wow. being on stage with my kids. They were three and five when we started. So they would have been four and six then. And uh, looking out into the crowd, the kids, Anne's like, wow, they never seen that many people before. And to find out that we were, we were not only inducted into the Hall of Fame, but we were number one out of the whole group. And to be from small town Saskatchewan and uh, get that kind of recognition was huge for us. And within six months, I sold my practice my financial planning practice got a really good dollar for it because at that point nobody was selling and they couldn't recruit new people into the business either because the, the mutual fund market wasn't that great. Mm. Um, but uh, that, that's, yeah, that's kind of how we got started. And, you know, we never stopped. We moved into multifamily and now we have uh, over 600 doors. We've got our own real estate investment trust going and um, and then a little bit more of my backstory. So I was actually a single mom, Wayne, at the age of 16. And so a lot of people thought that I kind of had ruined my life. And I always felt like I had something to prove. And, you know, and, and I did, I, as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, has life been perfect? No. You know yourself, anything to do with real estate, there's always challenges. But um, I'm up for them. And uh, I always say, like, bring them on. I can handle anything. <laughs> <laughs> You got such a cool story. There's like so many different directions I can go, but I, you know, what I really want to start with was, you know, your kids were quite young when you, when you got started and what was that like? What was the dynamic like, you know, trying to balance those priorities? Well, you know, I worked from home. Um, I, I worked in an office the whole time I was a financial advisor. Uh, but when my kids were born, I did, I didn't want to go back to work, you know? <laughs> so I, from then on, whenever, since they were born, I worked one day a week in the office and my assistant handled the rest. So I, I had, and you know, just to show you what a feat that was, I was making about 250,000 a year. So my income dropped a bit when my assistant managed it full time and I was in the office one day a week, but, uh, and every once in a while it would be more than one day a week. Um, but uh, everybody thought when I quit that, my, that gig, that I was absolutely crazy. Why wouldn't I just keep it going? But you know, I could not build my real estate portfolio and raise capital and all that kind of stuff and and do mutual funds and real estate. I just couldn't because mm. there's a conflict there. Um, 
So working from home made, made a huge difference. I actually still had to pay my lease for another four years after I quit because I had no intention of quitting. I uh, signed this long-term lease and uh, so I had to pay lease. But working from home made all the difference. You know, we could drive them to school, pick them up from school, take them to all their programs. And even to this day, uh, they, they don't even know what real life is like because you know, we have friends that have to get up in the morning, get their kids out of the door by seven o'clock to get them to daycare, only to get home at five o'clock, eat supper, back to bed, maybe an hour for homework. And our kids never had a bedtime. Uh, as a matter of fact, it wasn't until they were a little older when they started to get mad at us for making them late for school because we were so la-di-da in the morning. You know? <laughs> so they started setting their own alarm clock when they were around eight years old because they didn't want to be late for school anymore. <laughs> but, you know, kind of, kind of a nice way, you know, we didn't have to worry about, you know, they didn't have to get up till like eight o'clock when other kids were getting up at six. Right. Um, so they could go to bed at 10 and still get a good good night's sleep in and stuff. You know? And we got to spend all that time with them all the evenings. We used to take them to showings uh, to different properties. And uh, one day I was sitting in the vehicle because uh, it was wintertime and they didn't want to leave me in the vehicle. And one of them was sleeping. And I said to, to the, the other, said, why is dad taking so long in that property? He usually doesn't take him that long. I said, yeah, but today he's looking at a big deal. I said, see, count those doors. See how many doors there are? This is bigger than we're used to. Yeah. And uh, so I remember being on stage with Robert Kiyosaki and telling him that my daughter, this one, knew the difference between a small deal and a big deal. And he tried to get her to tell him that on stage, but she kind of hid behind my leg. She was a little shy at that point. <laughs> she wouldn't tell him, but, uh, but they did. You know, they knew the difference. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to skip over it, the, the, the fact that you hired an assistant, um, because I think that's that's a real big shift. It's a big change, right? It's a big decision because, you know, you were making whatever it was, 200000 a year. And to make that investment, you know, into your business, into your life, probably it was like, what, 20, 25 percent of your your income every year, right? Or well, yeah. you know what? It was close because even though the salary, uh, I kept it kind of low. I had bonuses and incentives. And as long as my income was kept up, then I topped them up at the end of the year. And my last assistant, she actually preferred to have more time off than getting the extra money, which actually worked for me too, because at the end, she was working three days a week and I was working, you know, one, one or two days a week. And we still managed, we still totally yeah. managed it. Was it was it a hard transition for you to, to, to start delegating? Because at that point you had, you had scaled quite quickly. Well, you know, um, when I went into financial services, I, I worked the first year on my own. Now, I started in financial services part-time through a company called Primerica, moved over into another company called ProFund. And um, I, I decided to go full-time into the business after doing it part-time for a couple of years. But I was making about 20000 a year. And in my day job, which at that time was office administrator, I was making about forty five. So the manager at the time, he said, Edna, you don't need to make 65000 to to match your income when you're self-employed because you pay so much less taxes. Oh. So the, basically that year I'd made about 65000 Quit Quit that job, went into mutual funds full-time. Um, my first year made 67000 My second year I hired an assistant because what I found is I'd spend a week making appointments, then a week going on appointments, a week making appointments, a week going on appointments. And then, of course, doing all the paperwork to get everything ready. 
And when I hired an assistant, my income went from 67,000 to 187,000. Oh, wow. And I never went back. So it was the second year full-time as a financial advisor, I hired an assistant. Because a lot of the smaller tasks are probably eating up a lot of your time. You're able to pass those off and focus more on growth than management, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I was able to carry those systems over into the real estate world. And even now when I teach my students, you know, so many people, and you know this, Wayne, they get stuck in the day-to-day -day activities of owning real estate, tenants, toilets, you know, all that kind of stuff, sending, you know, paying bills, all that, all that. And you can hire someone who, first of all, can probably do it way better than you are. Cause if you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're, uh, you're not, you're not the day-to-day -day living person. You're kind of out there. Mm -hmm. And, and so my assistants have always done a better job than I do. Um, and it frees me up, yeah, to do what I like to do best, which is be in front of people and do the deals and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, when we were first scaling up, uh, you know, after the Robert Kiyosaki course, was it mostly residential? Did you hop right into multi? No, we started actually our very first two purchases were condos. We uh, and you know what? Very close to where we lived. And, and I tell you, Wayne, we were scared of everything. So our first condo, my I told you I was a single mom. Mm -hmm. We walked up to these condos that had, it was a condo uh, apartment building conversion into condos. And our realtor said, yeah, some of these are for sale. Not all of them, but some of them are. And I said, oh, is that one for sale? It was my daughter lived in there. She just moved out on her own. She lived in there. And he said, Texas is, as a matter of fact, it is. He says, so is one next door. I said, okay, let's make an offer on that one. We'll buy it. <laughs> Within a few days, my daughter told me that the people next door lived there for 17 years. And I went, oh, well, maybe I'll buy that one too. Then I don't have to worry about tenants, right? I was scared of tenants. Because <laughs> you hear all the stories, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we ended up buying two at one time and within a year we refinanced out, pulled all our money out. Um, and then we started moving into duplexes because we noticed that the more doors under one roof was better. Yeah. And then, um, then one year we bought like 12, uh, properties in, in joint ventures with other people. And some uh, realtor I was talking to, he said, why don't you just move into multifamily? He says, you can buy 12 doors at once, not have to deal with 12 investors. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, I'm not ready for that yet. I, I don't have enough houses. And he said, no, yeah, you are. So before I left his office, I made an offer on a 24-unit apartment building, which we ended up getting. And so that's what took us from 20, I think we had 24 doors to 50 doors in that 18-month period. And what, what are the key differences between residential and, and multi? What were the things that you noticed? The biggest thing for us, <clears throat> so we we both, both my husband and I had really good income when I was working as a financial advisor and he was uh, had his own trucking company. So uh, we it was easy for us to qualify for mortgages at the beginning. I think we had, I don't know, 14 or something like that. But then we got cut off and we had, we had no choice. We wanted to grow. We had to move into multifamily or keep mm -hmm. bringing in joint venture partners. Um, so like I said, the first year we did the joint venture partner, but then we decided to move into multifamily. So with multi, they don't look so much at you. They, they do need to know that you need to have a decent net, net worth, like 25% mm -hmm. or whatever the mortgage is going to be. But they look at the building because it's treated like a business. So the building has to pay for itself. And if it doesn't, you can't even get financing on it, you know? So, um, that, that was the biggest thing for us. And then. I don't know. It was kind of cool to be able to say I went from 26 doors to 50 doors in one transaction, you know, and, and I didn't find it any harder 
Um, and some people disagree with me because there's a few more steps. But, you know, once you've been through the steps, it's no harder to buy a multifamily than it is to buy a house. Yeah. And I, I say this. What's that? Sorry. I find it easier. Yeah. I, uh, I say this a lot, actually, and, and I don't own any multi, but like um, a lot of people, they, they struggle with finding joint venture partners. Uh, they struggle with raising capital. And just whenever I explain a deal, you know, whether it be a single family or a duplex or something like that to an investor, they're like, eh, yeah, you know, I could do that myself. As soon as you say multifamily, it's sexy. I can I could be a part owner in an apartment building. It's very easy to raise capital that way, in my opinion. It is much easier. Yeah. So that was another thing. Yeah, we found that easier. Because then, like with the houses, joint venture houses, our joint venture partner provided all the capital. They put the mortgage in their name. And then we registered a caveat and we got uh, 50%. With a multifamily, everybody's on the title. The way that mm. we, you know, we were, all the joint venture partners were, Everybody, you know, was on the mortgage and everything else like that. So, yeah, it was easier to qualify. We could have qualified till, you know, till cows come home. We still haven't been cut off. Um, and how, how many buildings that you can own. Yeah, it's crazy. You, um, you mentioned your husband earlier very quickly. And so what roles did you both play when you were first starting out? And now is your husband involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He kind of oversees all the repairs and maintenance and that sort of thing, because that's something like even at the house, I have no idea what it costs to get a plumber out to fix a toilet. I've just never known that kind of stuff. The other day, a caretaker reached out to me and he says um, something about taking the vacuum cleaner in to get it fixed. And I said, well, talk to Warren because he decides because he knows whether it's worth it to fix it or just replace it. And so he said, okay, I talked to him. He said, yeah, fix it. But you know what? I wouldn't even know. I don't even know the answer to that. And you know what? That, some people might think that's dumb. I think that's smart. Why would I need to know all that stuff? I can't, I can't be good at everything. So he's really good at that. He's, he's good at saving us money. Like he, he knows the prices of stuff. And we, we actually bought a building vacant one time and we renovated it and all this. And, you know, the guy gave him a quote to do the cupboards. I can't remember what it was, $300 to paint or something like that. Then the bill came and they gave him, it was like 900 bucks and for this one unit. And he says, no, you told me 300. Yeah, but I had to put three coats on it. I would have went, oh, well, shit. I would have thought you'd known that, but okay. He said, no, I'm paying you 300. You should have known that. You quoted it. You looked at it. He says, you take 300 or, or I'm getting somebody else. The guy stayed, finished up, and did them all for 300. <laughs> I, I just wouldn't have been that person. So he's right. very, very good at doing that kind of stuff. That's awesome. That's and awesome. It's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your multifamilies, are you only investing in Saskatchewan, or do you do you venture off into other provinces or the U.S.? Uh, we started in Saskatchewan because it was home test. So our first few properties we bought um, – actually in northern Saskatchewan, I'm from northern Saskatchewan, Meadow Lake, our first big purchase, 144 units in La Ronge, Saskatchewan, mm. population 3,000 people, again, a lot of people thought we were crazy, but you know, being from the north, I knew that that was the gateway to the real north, and there also wasn't a lot of home ownership up there, because if you build a property up there, you're never going to get your value out of it, uh -huh. uh, so we got it for a really good deal, I think it was like 44,000 a door, we renovated, increased the rents, pulled all our money out within 36 months, paid our investors out fully, and we still own that one to this day. So most of it's in Saskatchewan, lots in Saskatoon, uh, few in Regina. Um, but then uh, we branched off. We have some in Alberta, some in Manitoba. And then just this year, Wayne, in January, 
we set up our own REIT, so our own real estate investment trust. And we bought 80 units in Memphis, Tennessee at $20,000 a door. And we have another 80 under contract right now. I just talked to my partner the other day. It was an offer and I'm not sure if it went through yet but for another 80, almost the same thing. So we'll put 10 to 15,000 a door in those um, units. So they'll be worth 2020. Well, we'll have into them 2025, but they'll be worth about 50,000 a door. And, you know, cause you're very badly managed, some highly vacant, terribly run down. So, but once we put the work in, like double our money, you know, so that that's what we're doing right now. That's so cool. And now I'm trying to do some math in my head. I'm not a multi-expert, but I understand the refinance process. Actually, do you want to explain that whole, um, that whole strategy of buying low, adding value, increasing the rents, refinancing and getting your money out? Cause even, even to me, it's a little foreign in, in that, in that realm. Absolutely, because that's my favorite part. So I'll start first with our 144 unit in Lorange, because that happened in 2012. We bought that at roughly 44,000 a door. I think it was $6.5 million. We had, um, I think at that time, a 10-year mortgage on it at 4%. And in year three, uh, we had at that time had it almost fully renovated because uh, we, we gave rent increases, we renovated, and it was worth and I'm, I'm kind of going by memory here, but I'd say around eight and a half million at that time, because you think, you imagine every door in that building went up over a hundred dollars a month in rent, 144 units, you know? So that was built in equity. We raised $1.2 million for that property to buy it. 36 months, we paid out that and my, my partner and I, because I have a managing partner and, and us, we, we raised the money, they, they, they managed the deal. Um, each got a $400,000 tax-free uh, um, payday. So because we, we got more back than, than, uh, than we needed to for the investors and stuff like that. So that allowed us to go on and buy a, couple, a few more buildings. Um, but yeah, if you increase the, the rents, mm -hmm. reduce your expenses, increase the the value of the property through renovating and stuff like that yeah you can pull all your capital works the same as in a house as the brrr method same thing um now when we when we bought that property we bought it with cmhc financing now during COVID here cmhc changed some of the rules and they won't allow you to do that anymore like they don't want you to fix it up and take your money out they want you to leave the money in it but oh, okay. you can still refinance it just conventionally later. So a lot of people thought, oh my gosh, that's the end of everything. We can't do that anymore. No, it's just the end of CMHC won't allow it at the you know 15% down we were getting, but you can still do it conventionally 20, 25% down. So it still works. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing in Memphis right now. So a lot of these properties were vacant, uh, you know, poorly managed, things happen, people, you know, get tired of being the landlord and, and they just let it go. And so we got it at a really good deal. And that's exactly what we did. We went in, renovated, as each unit was renovated, we tenanted it up. Uh, the few tenants that were in there, we moved them into the new units, worked on their units. And, and we took possession actually right at the end of March, right during COVID. So yeah. um, one of our partners had a hard time getting across the border. But once he was there, he was okay. The only thing is if he came back here, he had to quarantine for two weeks. So he's pretty much stayed there ever since he got down, which I believe was 
not till about May. So there was a bit of a delay, but you know, yeah. even then, uh, it, it wasn't enough to, it, it didn't hurt us in any sense. It just, you know, took us a while to get everything going. But uh, yeah, that that's, that is, that is my favorite way. Now we haven't done that with all our properties. Um, when, when we first started buying in Regina and Saskatoon, we did it with lots though. We had the fastest we ever paid an investor out was a 24 unit building in 18 months. And it was 23 two bedrooms, one one bedroom. And some of the tenants were in there from when it was built, I think 1964 or something like that. So it really needed like new, we did new cupboards, flooring, toilets, uh, you know, all the uh, appliances. And we were able to increase the average rent, I think, in there was around 600. We increased the rent to $1,250. So, yeah, everybody was paid out in um, 18 months. Now, with that one, we, we took higher ownership with that one right from the beginning because we knew that we'd be able to do that really quickly. Um, because people will, when you give them rent increases, that's almost double, they move out. Now, when they move, they have to go to the next unit over, which they're paying almost the same. Right. Uh, but it's the principal, right? So it wasn't hard for us. And Saskatchewan has a little bit different rules. There's no, none of this, they can't rent evict and all this kind of stuff. In in our yeah, in our world, we don't have that challenge. Uh-huh. And Memphis neither. Like there's that that's another key as to to where you're buying because as landlords, you can really have your hands tied with a lot of those things, you know, rent evict, you're forced to keep your rents at this for tenants. And, you know, I always think I wouldn't even own in those places because um, I mean, there's, there's some benefits and I've got students that buy like all across Canada, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, find it tough enough dealing with ORT in Saskatchewan, let alone dealing with ORT in, uh, <laughs> in the provinces where they dictate to you how much rent you can collect, you know? Yeah, that'd be that'd be very difficult for sure. Uh, you had mentioned um, just a second ago about the fact that you cashed out your investors. What is What do you mean by cashing them out? Like you gave them their money back and their profits or, or are they still part of the deal? Just their profits. So how we set up our deals at the beginning was the investors would get paid all the cash flow until um, they got all their principal back. And then they would maintain their ownership as long as we own the property. So they're so, still making profits Yep. and they got all their money out. And they got all their money out. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's better for us too, because, you know, sometimes people say, well, what if I paid, um, you know, a hard money lender and, and I owned it a hundred percent. Well, that's good if you can afford it and your building can afford it, but that doesn't always happen. Like in our case, uh, we didn't pay cash flow out for the first year because there was lots of money to be put back in the property. Like we were doing roofs and uh, um, uh, parking lots and, and like just everything. Like we put so much money back into the properties. So uh, you can't do that with hard money lenders. They want their, they want an upfront fee and then they want so much month regardless. And with investors, they're in the game with you. So the wise thing to do is to you know listen to us and this is how we this is how we do it and then that's how we did it and that's how they got their money back so quickly very cool very cool um so this is even for me like i said i'm i don't i don't do any multi so this is all very scary for me because it's all very different from everyone's concept of buying a house and putting renters in it there's a lot more to it um do you have any tips that you would give new people who are interested in multi because I, I do know that you teach this as well right you coach this yes 
get educated on it first because there are ways that you can get burnt. If you don't know how to analyze a property, if you don't know how to analyze an area, you can get burnt. You want to know your tenant demographic, your tenant profile, uh, what their average income is, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's there's many things you need to know. But you know what? Once you know it, you can apply it anywhere. You can apply it in Toronto. You can apply it in LaRange. You can apply it in Memphis. It's the same same system. So get your system in place. Build your power team. Whatever area you're going to work in, build your power team. It's the same with houses. Um, but get educated because there, there are things that can go wrong. And and like with us, what we do is we also refer our power teams, you know, to a lot of a lot of our students. And even if they're not my power team because I didn't buy in Toronto, my other students have power teams in that area. So you know what I mean? So then they can start to build from there. Um, so education, again, is the key. And a power team, obviously having, uh, surrounding yourself with people who can who yeah. can definitely help you. Well, and education even there, like lots of people don't know about what it takes to build a power team. For example, when we first started buying rental real estate, we used our realtor that we bought our own personal home from. And even though we were warned, we were told, get a realtor who's bought uh, rental real estate so they understand. But we knew this guy, we liked him, you know, and, and it wasn't for till after working with him about a year and we lost out on a few deals because he didn't understand that we finally listened to our coach and, and started working with a realtor who owned rental property because that's so huge. If they don't own it, they don't understand it. They, you know, they, they can't, they're, if most cases they only are in it for the commission because commission can be higher but you know what a lot of multifamily is not sold to realtors for that reason alone we would rather pass that fifty thousand dollars on in the form of a vendor take back or something as opposed to sell it through a realtor mm. um, and most of our deals do not come through realtors mm. crazy so so you're finding your deals uh through how are you putting out marketing or are you you know what no i don't even do any marketing for that other than you know what i'll post on facebook and this is what i tell all my students you know what? when you very first get started tell everybody you know and his dog that you're looking for multifamily because you don't know where they're going to come from you have no idea watch mm -hmm. kijiji we got a few of our deals on kijiji um watch uh you know talk to realtors because yes sometimes we did get some like that larange deal came to us through a realtor um, and some, some deals do, uh, got some from the paper that was a realtor, but, but our best deals have come privately through other investors, um, and through, uh, you know, uh, investment networking groups like, uh, rain, uh, the one in, uh, Edmonton was, was the one we, we met one fellow and not even directly. One of my students met him. He thought he was from the area, Meadow Lake. And he said, well, you buy, you buy Metal Lake, don't you? And he said, oh, no, I buy Melford, he said, which is another Saskatchewan town. He says, but, you know, I think Edna buys, would buy Metal Lake. That's her hometown. So that's how we ended up with a really nice 40-minute deal. Um, so, you know, stuff like that. And, and basically, he told him about me, gave my phone number, he phoned me up. And, and within a couple months, we had a, we had a deal with uh, really nice vendor financing and stuff. Because I always say, fellow real estate investors they're already, they're predisposed. They love real estate in most cases. Um, and they're not going to, when they retire, they're not going to go want to put all their money in the stock market or term. They're, they're not. So where better place to leave their money than in real estate? 
but you have to do it right because if they think you're just another broke investor looking to use their capital, they won't do it. So there's certain things that you have to do in certain timings. Um, one of my students recently got, I think like a 13.5% vendor take back, 85% financing through CMHC. And after I do, I do a, a podcast with my students and, and I did her success story. And she said, and I bet you had five people reach out to me and said, I was working on that property. They, they told me right off the bat, no vendor take back, not a chance. So I let it go. You did it wrong, you know? And she just laughed and she says, yeah, you did it wrong. But you know what? L lots of people go in and the first thing they say to them, vendor take back? They, most of them don't even know what that is. Yeah. And and in this case, the couple had, I think they started real estate investing like 30 years ago. They actually did a vendor take back as well. They bought in the 80s, but they didn't call it that. So they didn't understand what it even meant, oh. you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that's too funny. I've got a, uh, I got a question here, actually. Um, sure. And the question is from Michelle Ouellette. And she says, can you comment on new build? multiplex options and I actually I know one of your students actually did uh just recently build one of these uh yeah in yeah, yeah. yeah. In Edmonton. I think they're so cool I I'm keeping my eye on them and I've been watching that you know progress and just seeing because I think there's gonna be a lot more of these popping up especially considering those low CMHC requirements yes yes and we're actually in right in the middle of uh, building a multiplex in Three Hills, Alberta. We bought some land up there and it's close to a hospital and, and there's a bunch of seniors there. So yeah, we, we're doing that and we're using um, modular build. So yeah, you, Michelle, you just need to know the numbers are going to work. And, and uh, like Wayne said, CMHC financing is a big part of that. Like the last mortgage we got, one 0.6% 35-year amortization. That wasn't even on a new building. New building, there was 40 years. Oh my God. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. But it but it's huge and it's so helpful. But the numbers still have to work. And um uh but but you need to know how to run those numbers. So yeah, I'm all for uh new bills. Now the one thing is be careful with the area though. Like we find that in our city. There's lots of new bills going out on the very outreaches of the city and people will move there, but ultimately they end up moving back closer to the center of the city because it's too far to drive and everything else. And a lot of the new bills are so badly made that after living there for two, three years, it feels like an old building anyway. So uh -huh. it looks pretty on the outside, but everything's falling apart on the inside. So, you know, know your builder, I would say, first of all, know your builder and uh and and know your numbers you're in and then of course get get together with a really good mortgage broker that understands cmhc financing because not every mortgage broker does uh my experience is, is few do and and that's why when when they hear our numbers like what my students and i are getting for financing it's blown them away um and uh but you but you got to know the right people yeah for sure it's it's, it's super important um, you know, as we start winding things down, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, I'm assuming that, that most of your, your, your business is pretty much passive now. Um, how do you like to spend your time when you're not working? You know, 
my kids will tell you I I love my work so much I still work most of the time I, I just do but my my primary role nowadays is coaching other people to do what I did because I have managing partners on just about all our deals and the few deals that I am managing partners still are on the block because I don't like that side of it at all mm-hmm. um, I like to help people buy because I, I you know it's like uh, you know you go through the whole process but I don't like owning them afterwards so if I don't have a managing partner uh, it's too much work so we, we don't like that side so I, I coach other people so I'm I um, spend my time helping them uh, doing the training on the program I have a, a 12-week program that I put people through but then just holding their hand through their their whole acquisition and you know teach you know putting them in touch with the lenders and the the people that they need to have on their power team um, and that's that's what gets my blood going nowadays that's that's really cool and and that's super important too that you know a lot of people are scared of and, and going into it alone just having you there and holding their hands can can make it a lot easier, right? Just, just had a student reach out to me the other day. She's six weeks into my program, so I believe I have not even got her five week five week uh, homework assignment yet. She already has her first building under contract, eight oh. unit. And uh, she sent me a little text over because, of course, we had to have a few calls because she wasn't sure about this, wasn't sure about that. She's not even through the program. And she sent back, I could not have done this without uh, having you in my back pocket. And and that is the difference. You know, even when we started, we had a coach. Um, our coach came all the way to Regina to, to teach us the ropes. And from there, we still stay in touch with her, you know. Because uh, different stuff comes up that we haven't dealt with before, and uh, and we we still have that relationship that I can reach out and talk to her. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Edna, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This is there's a ton of value in here, and I know everyone's going to really enjoy it. Um, if if anyone's interested in finding you or interested in your coaching, how do they find you? <clears throat> my website is ednakeep.com. And uh, my email address is edna at ednakeep.com. And what I highly recommend is I have a masterclass, which I will give you for the show notes. And they can watch that. That's about 45 minutes longer. Kind of tells our story, why we got into multifamily and how we, you know, how we present it. Uh, and, and then from there, if it's something that they're really interested, then I do a strategy call. Um, and but all my information for them to book a strategy call is in the masterclass. So watch that first. And if it's interesting, because you know, it doesn't interest everybody. Um, and, and I don't want to do a strategy call with every every tire kicker out there. But for mm-hmm. people who are, are serious, and they will really want to explore multifamily. I definitely can help them do it. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's amazing. Uh, thank you again. And uh, and we'll we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you very much for having me Wayne. Bye bye.